Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, I ask for your Holy Spirit to give me clarity and passion and, and the unction that only comes from your spirit. God, I, we pray that we would uh, open up our eyes and ears and focus in now and be able to pay close attention to what you have to say to us. Um, here we are, Lord, as that song we just sang a week or two ago, uh, Speak Forth Your Truth. And Lord, we know your word is truth. So Lord, we ask for the ability to hear and an even greater ability to say yes to you, to put into practice whatever you're calling us to do. We lift up these prayers to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going through this series this summer in 2 Corinthians. It's called We Have This Treasure. That phrase comes out of chapter 4 in verse 7 where Paul says, we have this treasure. We have this amazing spirit of God, this life of God that he's given us through his son Jesus. We have this treasure in these jars of clay, in these perishable, common, earthly containers to show that the all-surpassing power really comes from God and it doesn't come from us. You know, the ability to live a victorious Christian life doesn't just come from us. It doesn't just come from a strong will. It just doesn't come from a person who, who just has the, the right upbringing to live a Christian life. The, the power comes from the Spirit of God. The power comes from God's ability to empower us as He indwells us to live the kind of life He's calling us to live. And when we get down to chapter 12, Paul had been doing some boasting last week when we were in chapter 11. He'd been doing a lot of boasting, in fact. He, didn't, he said, I didn't want to boast, but you're going to make me boast. I'm going to be a fool for boasting. But uh, if I have to boast, here's what I'm going to boast about. When you ever hear a preacher or an evangelist or a pastor, when you ever hear them start to boast, you know what are the things that they usually boast about? Well, they usually say things like, well, I've planted uh, X number of churches, or I've, I've raised up this many church leaders into the ministry, or I've traveled thousands of miles to preach and to share the good news about Christ, or I've, I've seen X number of people come to faith in Jesus as a result of my ministry. You know, it's interesting, Paul never boasted about any of those things. You know what he boasted about? He boasted about his sufferings. He boasted about his pains that he had to endure. He boasted about the persecutions that he underwent for the sake of the gospel. And now Paul, in chapter 12, he turns to a new area of boasting. This one isn't so painful. This one at least didn't start out so painful. It ended up being rather painful. Let's go on to chapter 12. If you have your Bibles in front of you, uh, last night I turned back, I grabbed a Holy Bible, and it was on page 100, 800. And 22, page 822, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're also welcome to follow along on the screens. So Paul goes on boasting, right? He says, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. God knows. You know, it's interesting. Paul waited for this letter, the second letter to the Corinthians. He could have shared it in the first letter or the second letter. Now this is probably the third letter. Uh, he waited until this time to share with the Christ followers in Corinth about his heavenly vision, about this amazing revelation that Paul had where he actually was transported into paradise. Now, you know where we've heard that word paradise before? 
right? It comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 23. Jesus is being hanged up on a cross, executed for crimes that he never committed, dying a guilty man's death, being the innocent lamb of God. And two thieves are being crucified on either side of Jesus. One of them has a bad attitude. One of them has a good attitude, right? The bad attitude guy says, hey, if you're really the son of God, if you're the Messiah, take yourself down from the cross and save us too. You know, echoing the mocking that was going on in front of Jesus by the religious leaders. The other thief on the cross, he had a better perspective. He saw something different about Jesus. Maybe he had listened to Jesus say over and over, Father, forgive them as they are putting him to death, as they're nailing him up to on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. An amazing display of grace. And so this thief looks over to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What great faith, even though they knew they were going to die that day, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks over at that thief and he says, truly, truly, I say unto you that today you will be with me in paradise, in the third heaven, in paradise. That's the place where Paul says in this great vision that he experienced, that's the place where Paul was transported. So he says, and I know in verse three, I know that this man... Whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. This man was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I have to confess to you when I remember reading that for the first or the second time, I thought, he heard inexpressible things? Why didn't Paul say, I saw amazing things? I saw these incredible things. Why did he say hear instead of see? Because we do know from Revelation, from John's Revelation, the last book of the, of the Bible, John saw these great visions that God gave him, and he wrote down what he saw and what he heard. Only Paul had what he heard. I, I do not know why Paul only said, I, I'm just going to tell you that I heard inexpressible things. He wasn't even allowed to share. God wouldn't even allow him to share with the Corinthians what he heard, some amazing sounds. You know, in Paul's first letter of the Corinthians, he did say to them, which sort of gives them an indicator of, hey guys, there's some great things in store for us in paradise. We're all going there through Jesus. And it's going to be an amazing place. You know, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven's a wonderful place, right? And Paul's saying that, and Paul puts it in these words. He says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind the imagination is not even, con even conceived what God has in store for those who love him. So we are in for an amazing arrival. There's some amazing place where God says, through faith in Jesus, we're going to spend all eternity. And so Paul has this surpassingly great revelation. And it's an, a, it's an amazing thing. I, I think why Paul was able to share at least that limited uh, experience about his being transported to paradise was Paul wanted the Christ followers to know that heaven exists. He wanted them to know that that heaven that really does exist, that is waiting for them, that it is beyond, beyond spectacular. You see, the truth is you and I, we are human beings. And even though we live physically in this body, I got to think that in our deeper moments of thought and reflection, that every single one of us wonders you know, why am I here on this planet? Why am I walking around? Why do I live in this physical body? 
You know, Colleen was sharing being 41 years in Chile and talking about being a young woman when she first got on that airplane. And yes, the airplanes were running to Chile at that time. Uh, Eastern Airlines was the airline we took. It doesn't exist anymore. But, but, uh, but they were taking airplanes there. And, and now she looks at herself and says, I'm not so young. You know, time passes and we realize that our time here on earth is limited, that it's going to come to an end. Uh, at some point. And all of us says, you know, every person comes to that point. There's nothing sure in life but death and taxes. But when we come to that point of dying, is there life beyond the grave? Is there something more to life than what we're experiencing right now? And Paul is telling the Corinthians, yes, there is. There is an amazing uh, heaven that is waiting for you and me. There's more to life than what we can see now. We are more than just physical beings that exist for a short time on this fading earth. You know, if you, if you look at a timeline of Paul's life, you know, say, when did he have this revelation? He said it was 14 years ago. 14 years earlier would have been about the time that Paul was in the desert in Arabia outside of Damascus. He says in the book of Galatians, he spent three years there alone uh, getting to know Jesus, getting his whole life reoriented, his whole theology of thinking that keeping the law was the way to be right with God. And now he comes out of, out of that time alone with Jesus saying, you know, no one's going to be justified by keeping the law. You're going to be justified, made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Had to completely reorient his way of thinking. So Paul comes out of there and he's so uniquely privileged by the Lord Jesus to have these revelations. Now, here's the question. If Paul was so privileged, if Paul saw Jesus alive on the road to Damascus, if he has this revelation of heaven and, and he saw paradise and he couldn't he couldn't even share the details of it. What was to keep Paul humble? What was to keep him a humble servant leader and not get all puffed up with self-importance, with pride, with conceit? And God says, well, I've got a way to work it out for you, Paul. I've got a way for you to stay humble. So Paul says this in verse 7. He says, because of these surpassingly great revelations. I love the way he describes that. It's not even just a great revelation. It's beyond great, surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul says, you know, I, I think I know myself well enough and I, God knows me better than I know myself. He knows what's gonna keep me on the right path. God knows that the likelihood was that if I had all those experiences, I was just going to get filled up with pride. I was going to get puffed up with arrogance. I was going to have this attitude like, you know what? I'm the Apostle Paul, and I've had these amazing visions of heaven. And you know what? You guys are lucky to be in the room with me right now, you know? And so Paul says, because of the tendency for him to become conceited, God allowed a thorn in the flesh to come into his life. Now, it's interesting, this, this word thorn, it's a Greek word. It can refer to anything sharp or pointed, like a splinter or like a stake. Paul used this metaphor of a thorn to indicate that, that he was having to endure a particular pain. And this particular pain, this discomfort in Paul's life, this was going to be relentless, this was going to be daily, and it was going to be unceasing. You know, you ask, why would God do that to a great servant like Paul? Why wouldn't Paul just give, why, why wasn't Paul just given complete health for the rest of his life? 
And someone says, well, I, I don't understand why God would do that. Well, Paul's understanding was to keep me from becoming conceited. So you have this counterbalance. You have this, and I, I, I put this, um, this little, I, I tried to draw a seesaw, but I'm very limited on my graphics. So uh, you got to picture a seesaw in Paul's life and a counterbalance of, of something amazing with something that's painful in his life, right? So Paul says, I had this ecstatic vision of the third heaven. I had this vision of paradise and I was so privileged to have that. But to keep me from just focusing on that and saying, you guys are lucky to be in the room with me, to keep from being conceited, the counterbalance was God allowed Paul to have this thorn in his flesh, this weakness, this pain that was not going to go away. And Paul says, well, I don't like it. I want it to go away. God, please take it away. And God had other plans for him. You know, the truth is you and I, similar to Paul, you and I, we all have weaknesses. There's nobody that's perfect in this world. There's nobody that's good at everything. There's, there's nobody that's in complete health all the time, all throughout their life. Nobody has it all together all the time. And if, by the way, if anybody was like that, who would want to be around a person like that? It would just be like, you know, why you, know, why you and not me, so to speak? So it's, it's actually good that all of us have a different set or a different level of weaknesses. Let's define uh, what a weakness is, because in this particular case, this is a thorn in the flesh. This is, this is not a weakness in the same sense of, of what sometimes we think of as a weakness. Like sometimes we think of a, of a weakness as, well, I have a tendency to overeat. That's a weakness, right? I have a tendency to be lazy. I have a tendency to really procrastinate. You know, I wait until, you know, the last minute to get stuff done. You remember that story of the three pastors sitting there and they're, they're around a coffee table sharing and one of the pastors says, hey guys, I, I got to confess something. I didn't get my sermon done until Saturday night before Sunday. And the other guy says, huh, well, as long as we're confessing, um, I didn't get my sermon done until Sunday morning. I got up really early and finished it. I waited till the last minute. And the other pastor says, you guys are funny. What do you guys do during communion anyway? So... That's a procrastinator, right? You know, whether it's a tendency to, to be lazy or overeat or uh, a tendency to be, you know, late, to be tardy, chronic tardiness, to, to uh, uh, any one of those, those weaknesses, those are, those are weaknesses, but they're in a different category because those are what we call character flaws. Those are some things that we can work on. Those are some things that we could fix, you know, if I'm chronically tardy, I can get a watch, right? I can have somebody call me. I can have my wife give me a swift kick and say, it's quarter to nine. You're supposed to be there in 10 minutes. Get out the door. You know, you, know, you can overcome certain weaknesses in your life. This kind of weakness that Paul is talking about is something that he could not overcome on his own. And that's why Paul says, look, it's painful. Uh, it hurts. It's a messenger of Satan. It torments me. God, I need to... I need to do something about this. What we normally do with weaknesses in our lives, you know, we try to deny them. Ah, I don't really have it that bad. We try to excuse our weaknesses. We try to defend them. We try to hide them. And yet God does the opposite. God actually says, I'm going to leave you with certain weaknesses in your life, and I don't want you to hide them. I want you to put them out on display for all to see. Because when we are willing to show our weaknesses, 
guess who gets the glory? Guess who gets the attention? Guess who says, you know, God is able to do amazing things through this, this weak servant, such as my, this flawed individual, such, such as you or such as me. He can do any one of those things. He can use anybody and any kind of weakness for his own glory. So let's go back to Paul. So Paul's been given this weakness and he can't overcome it on his own. He's been given this thorn in his life, some debilitating limitation that Paul didn't ask for. He didn't want anymore. In fact, he prayed about it. He prayed about it hard. He says he, says he prayed three times. He says he didn't receive this thorn gladly. It pained him every day. Paul wanted God to get rid of it. And so in verse 8, we read this. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Okay, so God, so Paul is praying. And, you know, you, you talk about the, the people that says, uh, if you really want to get a prayer answered, you need to have faith. And if you don't get a prayer answered, well, it just means you didn't have enough faith. Well, I go to a passage like this and I said, I, I don't think anybody had any greater faith on earth than the Apostle Paul. And yet the Apostle Paul was praying in faith. Three times he went to the Lord in deep, agonizing prayer, asking God to take away this thorn in the flesh. And guess what? Paul got an answer to that prayer. But Paul didn't get the answer that he wanted to get answered from that prayer. Jesus answered his prayer, but Jesus gave him a different answer than what Paul was looking for. The Lord Jesus answered him, I asked the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. So the Lord Jesus gave Paul a personal response when, when Paul said, Lord, please take it away from me. Jesus is telling Paul, you know what, Paul, you can go ahead, you can boast and brag all that you want to, but here's the catch. Paul, I'm going to let you boast, but I'm not going to let you boast about yourself. I'm not going to let you boast about your great intellect and your knowledge and your revelations. I'm not going to let you boast about those things. I'm going to let you boast about your own weaknesses. Because, Paul, if you boast, if you end up talking about your own weaknesses, you end up pointing people to the one who can give you the power to work through those weaknesses. You can point people to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So Paul, and, then, and by the way, this is, this is like Christianity 401. This isn't 101 level Christian teaching. This is a kind of idea of like, wow, God allows weaknesses in our lives? Yes, he does. What's God doing when he allows us to live, to have to live with daily these weaknesses that we have in our lives? Well, actually, God is up to something very deep and spiritual. Paul had to learn a deep spiritual truth here. It's a truth that most of us, even when we hear it, we miss it. Here's the two basic truths. Jesus says to Paul, you're going you're gonna to have to live with that weakness, that thorn in your flesh. But here's the two truths. Jesus says, my grace is all you need. And my power works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. You know, grace is what brought us to Christ. Grace is what saves us in Christ. Grace is what keeps us in Christ. So we need that grace. Jesus says, my grace is all you need. And then he says, my power works best in weakness. That is, that is where God is going to do his best work is through our own weakness. So Jesus said to his most faithful his most hardworking, 
his most sacrificial servant on the planet, he says, Paul, sometimes you and I, we're going to have to go through hardships. He says, Paul, you're going to be begging God for relief, for deliverance. And it, there's going to be times when God says, I, right now, for my own purposes, and this is where we have to let God be God and say, Father knows best. We have to trust him and his love and his grace that he's, he's doing this for a reason. When God says, I'm not going to take away this thorn in your life right now. I want you to keep moving forward. I want you to keep serving me. And I want you to learn as you're doing that, as you're serving in that weakness, I want you to keep on relying on Christ's power to lift you up and to carry you through. He is the one who will strengthen you. He is the one who will sustain you. He will perfect his power in your weakness. And so Paul had to learn to have a new and improved perspective on his own weaknesses. You know, God uses several ways. I don't know if you ever thought about this in our lives. You know, how do we grow as Christians? You know, we don't grow day by day. We grow word by word. We grow experience by experience. And sometimes we grow through painful experiences. How do we become more like his son Jesus? By meeting our needs when we are helpless, God teaches us to trust him. By making us wait for what we need or want, we end up learning patience. But we wouldn't learn patience any other way. By taking us through the consequences of wrong choices, that's how we learn wisdom. You remember that young guy, that, uh, the corporate guy, and uh, he came up to the CEO and he was just getting started off in his career and he was all gung-ho and he says, sir, I really want to learn how to do well in my career. You know, someday if I ever make CEO or vice president or something, I want to learn to get there. I, I want to I become the best employee I can be for this company. How am I going to learn to be a good executive? And he says, son, you need to learn to make good decisions. And he says, all right, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Make good decisions. And he goes, uh, well, how? How do I make good decisions? And the guy smiled a wry smile and he says, son, bad decisions. We learn we learned wisdom a lot more from our wrong choices and the consequences of our wrong choices. That's how we learn values. That's how we learn wisdom. By involving us in the lives of difficult people. You say, God, why did you bring this person in my life? Or why do I have to live with this person in my life on a daily basis, right? Why does God involve us in the lives of difficult people so we can learn unselfishness? Why does God permit us to go through pain and affliction? We learn humility. We learn dependence on him. We learn to trust him more. So Paul wraps up his boasting now, and he says, I've got a new and improved perspective on this thorn in the flesh. I'm not going to live like saying, God, I'm mad at you on a daily basis because I keep praying for you to take away the thorn and you're not willing to do it. And Jesus said, I did answer your prayer. You just didn't get the answer you were looking for. And the answer you're looking for or the answer that I'm giving you is I'm not taking away the thorn, but my grace is going to be sufficient because I'm going to work my power in your weakness. And so now in Paul's new and improved ministry, Paul says, therefore, in verses 9 and 10, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Can you imagine him saying it now? I I, that's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing for me to say out loud. I don't, it, it takes a lot of faith to get to that point. 
But Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what are our action points for this week? What are, we gonna, what are our takeaways? How are we going to learn this principle of grace, God's grace being sufficient for us and, and learning God's power through our weakness? The first thing we have to come to grips with is, number one, we need to admit, to, to admit your weaknesses. That's why Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, he says in verse 9. In other words, instead of pretending or hiding or minimizing or denying and trying to fool the world and tell the, telling everybody that we have it all together or, or just hoping that someday my weaknesses will just go, to way, go away if I ignore them, that, that we need to stop making excuses. We need to blame, quit blaming others. When we do that, it only hurts our credibility at the end. We just need to admit and by the way, everybody needs to admit this because God made us all human beings and nobody's perfect. We need to just admit our weaknesses. We need to just come clean and say, I've got weaknesses. There are things that I'm not very good at. There's things that I do not have under control. There's things that I've not quite mastered as far as character, as far as disciplines of this Christian life. Just admit your weaknesses. That's number one. Number two, this is hard. This is a hard step too. Be grateful. Be grateful for your weaknesses because the limitations the thorns that God allows in our lives according to God because he says he's going to work his grace in them he's going to perfect his power in our weakness those limitations and thorns those are actually blessings in disguise you know it was in World War II it was right after World War II it ended over in Great Britain the lion of the United Kingdom the Prime Minister the great Winston Churchill who had helped carry the British uh, nation and the Commonwealth through the World War to overcome Hitler and the Nazis. They get down to 1945 and they had an election later in the fall that year. To me, it should have been a slam dunk that Winston Churchill would be reelected as prime minister. But the country went the other way and they voted for the other party and Winston Church was, Churchill was kicked out of prime minister. And he goes home and he's probably in shock. He's in disappointed. He's probably in a little bit of despair. Winston suffered from depression. He called it the black dog. And Winston is now sitting there lamenting his loss in Parliament, in the parliamentary elections. And his wife says, oh, Winnie, I think you need to see this move as a blessing in disguise. And he said to her, well, if it is, it's a very clever disguise. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to see the limitations that we have is a blessing in disguise. But those limitations are actually allowed by God so that his power will show up in our lives. It, those blessings obligate us to lean in on God more, to depend on him more and on him less. To have the same attitude as John the Baptist had when he saw Jesus and he said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And somebody says, oh, John, and you can imagine, you know, being used by the enemy to stir up trouble here. Oh, John, do you see more of your disciples are going over to Jesus now instead of following you? They're going over to Jesus. Like, huh, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to say about that? You're going to be all jealous? And John says, nope, that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and here's what John said. John said, he must increase and I must decrease. 
That's part of living with our weaknesses, admitting them, and, and being grateful for our weaknesses is we're allowing Jesus to be able to increase in our lives and for the, for the spotlight to go more and more on him and less and less on ourselves. And then number three action point, be willing to share. Be willing to share your weaknesses, to talk about them. That's called being vulnerable. Instead of hiding our, weak, our weaknesses, we need to let others see them. We need to, I, like for me, uh, a weakness that I have, you, you call it a strength, but it turns into a weakness. I have uh, one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of knowledge, which means I love to study. I love to learn things. That's why I don't listen to music on the radio when I'm by myself. I listen to talk radio. Why? Because I'm always trying to learn something. And it drives Lisa nuts sometimes because she'd, she'd rather listen to music. And I just go, okay, compromise. We'll listen to music. And then, I, and then when she gets out of the car for a minute, I turn back to the talk radio. Why? Because I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fill my head with knowledge. I want to be able to give an answer to anybody for any question that's ever on the planet. I want to be like a walking Wikipedia, you know. And, uh, and then uh, it, it, what, what, I'm, what I'm learning in my 50s now is what, you know, what do you do? First, you, first you're ignorant about what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. And then as you get more educated, you just become more and more aware of what you still don't know, right? So one of, my, one of, the, one of the ways God is teaching me is says, Jim, you know what? You can study all you want. You're still not going to know everything. And there's going to be people that ask you questions. There's going to be people that want to know things like, why did Hurricane Harvey happen? You know, stuff like that. And, you, and there's a point at which you just have to say, I don't know. God knows. And I trust in him. And I've got an idea or two, but I don't have a definitive answer for you. And it makes me depend more and more on God instead of on myself and on my own knowledge, and on my own answers, you know. I can't, here's another weakness that I have. I can't fix things. I didn't believe this test when it happened, but when I was 15 years old, I took a, a test for the armed services. It was called the ASVAB test, Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. You know, awesome test, right? And I thought, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to excel on this. This is going to be great. So I take this test, and I ended up excelling on a few things. And so it came out, you know, this percentage, a high percentage here and there and here and there. And then there were like two areas that came out low percentage. And I'm like, What? What are you talking about? What, am I, what was low percentage? It came out low percentage on mechanical ability, which Lisa can just nod her head and say, yeah, anytime I ever ask Jim to fix something, it's just like, Jim, would you please call a plumber? Jim, would you please just call a serviceman? Jim, please find somebody in the church who knows how to do this. No, I'm going to figure it out myself. You know, water starts going everywhere. So, you know, it, it's like just admit your weaknesses. Be, in, be able to share your weaknesses. That, that, uh, one thing I've learned is that's when you let other people in the body of Christ be able to shore up our weaknesses with their strengths. That's why the Bible says, you know, the body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love as each part does his work. So you're good in things that I'm not good at, and maybe I'm good in things that you're not good at, but the idea is, is we admit and share our weaknesses, and we help strengthen each other and lift each other in those times of our weaknesses. You know, being uh, truthful about sharing our weaknesses, it actually liberates us from the stress of having to keep up a false image. Some faults that we have, they're, not, they're just not going to budge until we confess them to others. 
That's why it says in James 5, it says, therefore confess your faults to one another or confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some faults are not going to budge without confession. You know, the revealing, this is a Rick Warrenism, the revealing of feelings is the beginning of healing, right? Now, where are you going to feel comfortable enough to share your weaknesses, to talk about them openly, to let those secrets out of the bag? Where are you going to find healing for that? I'm going to tell you that there's those, you're not normally going to find those in a Sunday morning service, but you're going to find a place of healing like that in a life group. And that's why we want everybody to be in a life group. That's why if you're not in a life group now, we've got 20 clipboards in the lobby area for you to check one out and you to join so that you can get in community, so that together we can grow and build each other up in love. Some faults are not going to budge until you confess them to others. You can't experience grace. You, here's the thing. You can't experience God's grace without admitting your own weakness, right? You can't minister to others very well without showing the grace. And like, like Jesus says, freely, freely give, or freely you have received, freely give. Unless we have an experience of God's grace, which only happens when we admit our weakness, we're not going to be able to share that grace with other people. So there's lots of good reasons for being willing to share that grace. You know, I, I want to close with this story. It's called Be That Guy. This is a, in a men's uh, ministry, men talking to men. Sometimes the language is a little rough. It's a little more blunt because, guys, sometimes we need a two-by-four more than we need a little, a little pat. Um, uh, and this is uh, from a men's ministry called Wire, geared for men. But I think if you listen to this, I think it will apply to everyone here in the room. It's called Be That Guy. It says, building community in the social arena in the context of our friendships and relationships, building community, that means reworking existing friendships into authentic friendships. It means that we are to dismantle false images, the ones that we work so hard to construct. It means humbling ourselves in front of our friends by showing them our undisguised, unguarded brokenness. We reveal our flaws and our failures, our mistakes and our fears. You know, that's hard stuff to do, especially for men, no question about it. What's even harder, though, is that sometimes doing this, sometimes getting the ball rolling in this kind of love level of sharing, sometimes that requires that we go first. You see, authenticity is countercultural. Look around, there's few people that have authentic relationships. And so, when and if we choose to, we're likely to be all out in front, alone, for the first time at least. Why then? Why do we go about sharing our weaknesses in this level? Well, it's only through authenticity that transformation to Christ-likeness even happens. It certainly doesn't happen when we're hiding or when we're impersonating or posturing. It just doesn't. It's the way that we come into the character of Jesus Christ. It's the way we help our friends as well. You see, while very few of us men are willing to go first, Many of us will follow somebody who is willing to go first. It's like we say, well, if he can do it, then, you know, I can do it too. So when one of us is willing to steal himself and to humble himself, others follow. Therefore, stepping up and going first is not only heroic, it is a holy calling. So men, what do we do? Someone has to go first. So why not you? Why can't you be that guy?
Be courageous. Pray boldly, brother. If someone must, let it be me. Among your group of friends, be that guy. Yeah, sure, it'll be scary. And it might not go as well as you would hope at first, but that's okay. We men are built for that kind of stuff. We men actually wither without some kind of opposition. And it's all worth it. This going first might be some of the important, most important work that you and I will ever do. And God will bless you for it. So you and I, be that guy. Are you ready to be that guy or that woman? Are you ready to admit, to be willing to be grateful for? Are you willing to share your weaknesses? Paul says, I'll boast gladly about my weaknesses because then that's where the power of Christ will rest on me. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, the example that he set. And Lord, he did say, follow me as I follow Christ. Thank you for all of the ways that you have made us uniquely, individually. You gave us a unique set of abilities and talents and gifts. But Lord, you also made us and you providentially chose that each one of us would have to deal with a certain set of weaknesses. So Lord, help us to accept those. Help us to humble ourselves and to depend on you more. Help us to see that those weaknesses are signs that can point us toward depending on ourselves less and on your spirit more. Help us continually learn that your grace, if we just lean into that, that you say you would empower us and that grace would be sufficient for us. And so we ask for that outpouring of your grace and we thank you for every gift, no matter what it looks like, that you give us in our lives. Because when we rely on you, Lord, even when we're weak, that is when we are strong. Help us to put that into practice this week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.